0: Thank you all so much for listening. This show has grown so much over the last year and a half. It keeps doubling in size. Now episodes are downloaded in over 60 countries around the world. Absolutely amazing. And one of the best ways that you guys can help this show is to write reviews. And I know it's a pain, right? But if you go on to um, Apple Podcasts, Library, Six Ranch Podcasts, you scroll down to the bottom, then you can rate the show and you can add a review. And for the next month, I'm going to look at all the new reviews that go in there, and I'm going to randomly pick one of you guys, and I'm going to send you a Sig Sauer Kilo 2400 ABS rangefinder. You can look it up. It's the expensive rangefinder, it's one of the best rangefinders out there. And it's what I use in competitions. It has a weather unit in it, um, it'll give you a good ballistic hold for anything that you can range, and you can range stuff uh, farther than you can shoot. I promise. Okay, excellent rangefinder, and I want to give one away to one of you who reviews the
1: show in the next month, starting now, go. I guess the keys to sharpening are just to make sure that you have a consistent angle on your sharpening. Now, most knives have a some type of grind, and then they have a secondary bevel on them, mm-hmm. which is the sharpened edge. Yeah. Other than the Scandi grinds, now we're talking about the Mora knives, the Scandi grinds are just pure flat. Yeah. Okay. Um, but other than that, most knives have that secondary bevel. So, all you want to do is match up that secondary bevel. Now, if you mess that up a little bit, it's fine as long as you mess it up consistently. Okay. Right? Consistency is the key. You have to keep that angle. So, people
0: obsess about whether it's a 20, a 25, a 27, a 30-degree edge. Yeah. Um, But you can shave with a 33-degree edge. You can shave with a 17-degree edge. So, you can get it very, very sharp. But you're talking about making sure that whatever angle you are using that you're extremely consistent consistent with consistent with that these are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands i'm james nash and this is the Six ranch podcast The Six Ranch podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. Sig is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, Sig Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, Sig Sauer is synonymous with industry leading quality and innovation which has made it the brand of choice amongst the U.S. military, the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. SIG Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the SIG Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about SIG Sauer and its complete line of products, visit SIGSauer.com. Mike Rowley. If somebody wants to build a knife at home, what are the bare essentials that they need to to turn a piece of metal into something they can cut something else with?
1: Honestly, um, well, uh, a rock? <laughs> 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 oh, you're talking a knife that you can use, not a prison shiv or something? Yeah, like that. Okay, that's, okay. Like something that you're not going to be embarrassed about. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Well, I started... Um, when I started, I started forging with a coal forge that I made out of a brake drum. I started with some files and a hammer that I bought for $14, <laughs> brand new, right? And a piece of railroad track that I may or may not have gotten legally, okay? <laughs> and that's what I started on. And it, you know, I could I could turn out knives. Of course, they're not you know, collector's quality or anything, but they're, my, my dad's still using them. My brother's still yeah. using them. I still have one that's, you know, perfectly usable, stay sharp. Um, oh, and maybe some canola oil for quenching, you know, something okay. but but that's about it. I, and then of course things get better with the, as you upgrade equipment and gear. But, um, I would, I keep telling, you know, the kids who come over, do not be afraid to get started. Yeah. That's what you have to do. You just have to start making knives, and they, they you don't have to have my big grinders and all that. I didn't, mm-hmm. so you know, learn. Sure. So you know, a piece of of
0: railroad track that's a fairly good anvil, right?
1: It, yeah, it's not bad because it's already been hardened, and especially if you get them, you know, that the trains have driven on. I mean, they've had tons of stuff r- driven over them for. For a long time, and you cut that so they're already work-hardened. Um, the edges aren't hard, so by that I mean like a uh, uh, sharp 45. Yeah. Because you don't want that in your anvils even, maybe on a small section. But most of us round some of the corners on our anvils off anyway, so it's already done. Um, the, only, the only downside to the railroad track is it just doesn't have a super wide surface to work on. Sure. But I forged on that for probably the first... I don't know three or four years while I was while I was looking for the anvil, yeah. And that dang forging fire came out, and everybody wanted ten thousand dollars for their anvils after that because everyone was starting, yeah, to forge about that same time. Right. And so I I finally waited until I got got what I wanted within you know a doable price range. You didn't have to sell a kidney or anything for it. But how long have you been making knives? Uh, well, honestly, that's kind of a it's kind of a trick question. How how long have I been forging? I mean, knives? recently, about eight years. I was coaching football, and I got got out of that, and I needed something to fill my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I start I started forging, and yeah, you know, I read everything that I could. But before that, uh, I used to read the the bl- uh, blacksmithing books, trapper books mountain man, you know, Louis L'Amour, all of that and I remember reading a story about Jim Bowie and he his blacksmith making the original Bowie knife out of this meteorite super awesome metal that fell from the sky and that's a myth, by the way. Okay. I'm, I've since then made stuff with meteorite, and it's not super awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> actually, and it's super expensive. So, But anyway, um, but that just lit the fire. And so I still have the very first knife that I made. And it is terrible. And I made it when I was <laughs> about eight. And I, yeah, you laugh, but it is like way terrible. It like has a piece of pine handle on it. Yeah. And, you know... Um, some rivets that my dad had but he only had one in a rivet gun so i didn't have enough for the rest so anyway it it is bad and it is embarrassing but i keep it because you know that's where i start so long story short i started back then started sob start but i didn't know anything and then and then recently um you know the, the within the eight years then i've now you have you know youtube and stuff that that we didn't have back then so that that's when it really took off when i had the the resources and the the information so
0: yeah and this uh this fire and steel it sounds like it's been in your blood forever like oh man i love it yeah,
1: yeah. and i i mean who doesn't you know but i'm like 400 years old now no i'm what am i 53 and so I remember I was in high school when Conan the Barbarian came out, you know, and the Riddle of Steel and the Giants. And I'm just, man, you know, who doesn't, who did not want to be Arnold? Who did not want to be Conan the Barbarian? You know, and and the funny thing is, is I'd read all the books before that um, by Edgar Rice Burroughs and and uh, the Tarzan books and then the Conan books and then the Um, I can't remember the author's name now. Anyway, all, you know, all of them. And then the movie came out and it's all about the steel and, and, uh, anyway, that just fired me up. I wanted swords and knives and uh, all that stuff.
0: Well, it's a really provocative thing and and people love, they love forging, you know, they like watching it. They like thinking about it. It's an exciting thing to take a piece of metal and then turn it into something useful. And that's been a huge part of how humans have progressed. Like, absolutely, going from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age was that was incredible. Like that was the giant leap for us was going from rocks to metal. Yeah. Um, And of course, the first knives ever were you know two and a half million years old or whatever, and they are made out of rock. But we've needed to cut stuff for a really long time. I was doing some research on cutting tools a while ago. And I found it interesting that we were cutting meat with knives for a long time before we ever figured out how to use fire.
1: Oh, right. Oh, I so didn't know. That. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Today, you know, fire and steel go together. Right. Um, but knives came first, you know. It wasn't steel, right. but <laughs> knives came first. Right. It was it was the more important tool. And then sure. once we could combine those two things, that's where we really sure. started to move forward. Um, but and I feel like a lot of ways knife making has progressed a lot and in some ways it hasn't you know in a lot of ways knife making has been the same for a very long time tell me about like the damascus that you make now like how different is that from the damascus that would have been made in syria 2000 right right
1: well um we've done some and i've done a smelt where you try to make that or copy that which is um, it's either it's called bloom steel now is what we call it in the west is the Damascus that that they made back in Syria, um, we don't have all the metals, you know, the same mm-hmm. exact metals and things that they did then. But um, that was a homogeneous piece of steel. Okay. So, so even though it still had, you know, dendrites and some other stuff in it so that left a pattern, it was beautiful. Um, then we kind of moved to the folded steel like the Japanese did and they would take that bloom and and forge it out and fold it and forge it and all that did is get all the impurities out but that left a that left a beautiful damascus pattern and then more recently what we do is um it's called pattern welded and if you ever you know post anything online the the warriors the internet warriors you know come in and correct you like oh this is my new damascus and they're like that's not true damascus you know whatever yeah but you know it's pattern welded um it's it's been called damascus since the 1800s in that way and all we do now is we take two dissimilar pieces of steel or more but one uh, will have a higher nickel content for example the other one will be a simple carbon steel and so, once you forge that out, and then you can manipulate that pattern how you want, you can get all kinds of cool stuff, and they, I mean, they're beautiful. Throwing in some acid, well, the nickel doesn't get eaten away, and the high carbon just co- turns totally black, so that reveals the pattern. Okay. And so, it's kind of evolved, um, and it's quite a bit different now, uh, but there are still some people making bloom steel and stuff, more for um, nostalgia, I guess, or... You know, can I do it? And uh, it is a pain in the rear, though. So.
0: Well, I'm sure that when the Japanese started doing it, they were doing it because it had function. Um, sure. And it is beautiful. But what what is the function of having two different types of steel that have been folded, pounded out, folded, pounded out, sometimes hundreds of times? Right.
1: Uh, now, um, you know, when we're talking the pattern welded steels uh, function, nothing. Yeah, you know it, it's for looks. It's okay. it's pretty stuff. Now the Japanese. So what you'd do is you'd have a smelt and and you'd put black sand which had iron in it, mm-hmm. and it'd trickle down through the the layers of charcoal and like people wouldn't sleep for four days because their mind you're tending the the smelt and and as that went down as the iron went down then it would pick up carbon from the charcoal. Okay, and and that's how they got the high carbon steel right. So in the bottom then you have this bloom and it looks like a giant sponge hmm. you know it's about 2500 to 2200 degrees of giant sponge and, and you press that out the only problem is you still have bits of sand and glass and a little bit of charcoal or whatever and so you have to consolidate all that uh, and, and once you do that and forge all that out then you've got to fold it and each time you fold you lose impurities and so the Japanese you know that was their way of making A high carbon steel okay and and all they were trying to do is get something homogenous yep well nowadays we have you know all the modern technologies and you know they'll melt the steel with electricity in an oxygen-free environment you know and add the add the mixes and stuff so then you get leaf springs that are uh, i hate to say this this is like one of those deals where you know People may be hating on me, but um, they're far superior to any of the Japanese steels that they had. Okay, there's not the romance. It's not as beautiful, you know. It's not as uh, uh, traditional. And I love the process of the traditional mm-hmm. Japanese swords. I mean, I I would love to have one, and I've made one or two. Um, but honestly, give me a give me a modern day steel. Yeah, and it is. I'd take it into battle way before I ever would, you know, some of the old Japanese stuff. So,
0: well, the battles that I have to fight these days are, you know, against an elk or a deer or a bear sure. that's laying on the ground, and uh, well, they're I've, tough, man. Yeah. yeah, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a couple, couple knives here that I use a lot, and one of them is the Benchmade Bug Out. Um, it says 535 on it. And uh, it's S30V. Okay. And then I've got um, the the carbon knife from Argali, and it says S35VN. So, yeah, okay. Looking at these two knives, what what can you tell me about kind of the difference in quality between one blade and another, um, and and sort of the shape and like? Sure. They're they're similar in a lot of ways, but they've got some differences.
1: Yeah, they are very similar. Your your bench made. Um, with your S30V, uh, that is a new modern super steel. So it's stainless, you know. It has a good resistance qualities there, and it's got really good hardenability and wear resistance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there, there's those three things that you really want to look for in a knife or a knife blade. And then the other thing is toughness. Okay, right, like a, like a leaf spring. Um, is a 5160, which means it has 0.06% carbon in it. Okay. Okay. Um, This would have significantly higher carbon. Okay. um, Which means that it would harden more. Okay. Okay. And, um, but it may not be as tough. Yep. Right. Okay. But you're not using this as a pry bar you're nope. not using it as a, as a spring on a truck you're actually using it as a knife is meant to be right and most so, of the time most, I, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. I, i'm guilty of using the knives for <laughs> things that
0: knives shouldn't be used for yeah. I'm first to admit
1: i have about 20 old timers from when i was a kid trying to use them as screwdrivers <laughs> and stuff you know and tips are broken off and yeah i get that but no this is anyway this this is a new steel or a new ish you know in the history of mankind, how's yeah. that? But yeah. uh, it's a super steel, or what would be considered that. Uh, it takes special heat treating equipment and things like that, which is why most, most knife makers don't do that, um, don't use these stills. Uh, the shape of these both are nice. Um, your bench made, though, I really like that because it's got the, the drop down, which is like a drop point hunter. Yeah. Right, and so that tip's in the middle, which means you can use it for, as like a survival knife if you need to drill a hole in something. Mm-hmm. Use that tip, but it, it's nice for skinning too because it's not, you know, it's not up. You're not going to catch into the meat or the hide right. and cut through. Now, this is my this is my favorite shape. Okay, um, favorite shape and knife. It's a clip point, so if you're stabbing stuff, you can stab. Uh, you know i don't know what you'd stab but yeah uh, cheesecake cheesecake yeah Yeah. cut your cheesecake and open your packages that's the real deal nowadays it is mark of a modern man uh but your other knife here is basically the same steel
0: and this is the argali
1: Uh, yeah, yeah the argali um and i don't know usually the you know the a knife still say for example 5160 and i i'm more familiar with um high carbon steel yeah okay so it'll still patina and rust and stuff like that but 5160 is usually a leaf spring steel with a 0.06 and then you get like 1080 1075 and that's like um you're getting into like plowshares and stuff like that and it has just a little bit more carbon yeah then you get into like uh a steel um one that's pretty popular is 1095 or fifty two one hundred and that has almost one percent carbon. Okay. Okay, and that's a lot, a lot way, more carbon. A lot yeah, more almost carbon. Double. yeah and, and that's what you would use say for razors. Yeah. Uh, that's what I use for kitchen knives just because of the high carbon. Mm-hmm. Right. I if I have a really thin edge, I want it extremely hard. So that so this the Benchmade is S thirty and the all
0: the Argully is S thirty five. So what is right. the, what does that number mean?
1: Okay, so the S is just stainless. Okay. Right? And then the V or V N in the back are the additives okay. that they would that they would have and right. V
0: is vanadium,
1: vanadium, and then N is nitrogen. Okay, okay, and so they some somewhere in that process they've introduced some vanadium and nitrogen. Now vanadium helps wear resistance, okay, and hardenability, and you you want that in a uh, stainless steel hmm okay because i don't know if you remember but when they first came out with stainless and stainless chef's knives you know they wouldn't hold an edge and oh yeah y- you go to you go to any thrift store now and there's like drawers full of them you right. know and, and and they're just cheap i mean they're like pieces of tin really mm-hmm. well you start adding these other other elements and that adds a certain amount of hardenability durability and then wear resistance and so um, now the 30 and 35, um, those are just markers for how much of each they put in there. And oh, okay. I, I, I don't know exactly what these are. I mean, yeah. I have I, I knew at one time. I just don't remember honestly what these are. And then there's, there's others too. There's tons of new steel. I use a steel let's call it, um, AEBL, okay, which is a, a stainless. Mm-hmm. And then I use um, a Nitro V which is A-E-B-L with vanadium added to it. Yeah. And so I, I'm most familiar with those steels, and then the high carbon just because, you know, I use them a lot and they're, they're accessible.
0: And what we were talking about earlier today is, you know, as everybody listens to this show, they probably can't wait for me to stop talking about the fact that I'm going <laughs> moose hunting this year. But I'm going moose hunting this year, and there are some absolutely magnum brown bears around. Sure. So – um. As soon as this moose hits the dirt, uh, there is a clock that starts ticking on how long before a bear shows up. And one of the tools that I've used in the past um, is both axes and hatchets for for skinning, gutting, quartering, fleshing. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a really good axe, you can break down an animal with incredible speed as fast as anything and when i was in africa that's what we used too is axes for quartering for Uh for all all kinds of that stuff to get critters out of the field same deal we've got leopards we've got lions there's stuff out there that you don't want to show up yeah um and we're going to be using leaf spring for that project
1: so tell me a little bit more about how how we're going to build out this hatchet okay um well we're gonna um as you and i have visited first of all I'm jealous of your moose hunt, okay <laughs> <laughs> uh I'm so out of shape you'd have to helicopter me in or something and then but uh but no i uh, always wanted to hunt a moose just never never have yet okay, that's the key yet yeah, right uh, but no the, the hatchet what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a um kind of like a bearded Viking axe thing where it drops down it's, so the front of it's going to be a curve, not a not A traditional hatchet, I mean, you still use it to cut down a tree if you wanted, if you had enough patience, I guess. But, mm-hmm. uh, but the curve then is going to be more like an ulu knife, so you can just get right in there. And, yeah, uh, and, and I assume, anyway, if you plenty of people in Alaska have hunted moose and done that same thing with their ulus and axes and hatchets, and and so one of the good things, I guess, with the high carbon steel, okay, so like the 5160 is that it is extremely tough. Okay, it, it's meant to be springy. It's meant to be tough. Now, when we're talking about tough, that doesn't mean edge retention. Doesn't it's not talking about sharpness and not talking it right. It just means that it's able to take shock, it's able to take I mean, you can do anything you want with it. Yeah. Right? You can take a rock and pound on the back of it to get the edge through a pelvis or whatever you want to do and it's not going to harm it. You're not yep. going to break it. Uh, which is a positive. Uh, The other positive thing is once we get that sharp, um, it is easy to sharpen in the field. Okay. Okay. Now, some of these super steels, you can get them kind of sharp in the field, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, Um, but you really need like a diamond stone or you need a, I can't remember the little sticks, you know, with diamonds there or something along those lines. Something extremely hard. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. And if you lose that, you're screwed, right? You're you're not going to be able to sharpen that those two knives as sharp as you will want. But with the high carbon, you can sharpen. Yeah. Well, with a rock, you know, out of the river or whatever, and get that sharp again. And so, and then the other thing, too, is with that hatchet, we're going to do a convex grind. Okay. Okay. Which is kind of, it ends up looking like an apple seed. Okay. Right. Uh, You have have a hollow grind, you have a flat grind, and most of my knives, I do a flat grind. Mm Mm-hmm right i like that there's no no resistance once you cut you know get through that first little bit um, hollow grind is fine for kitchen stuff but it's or you know a, a straight razor something like that way too fine for what you'd be doing up there but that apple seed slight apple seed right i don't want to make it you know too thick right but uh then then once we do that we'll put that secondary bevel on so that will add sharpenability toughness I mean, you you know, basically you'll be able to do it all.
0: So I want to talk about toughness and deviate away from this this hatchet thing a little bit. Sure. And is hatchet even the right word for, for what we're building? Or is this like yeah. a short-handled axe?
1: Yeah, it, it would be more, um, I guess the term for it would probably be like a hand axe. Okay. Um, in Scandinavia, they, they use those a lot for carving, mm-hmm. for processing, you know, wood stuff, uh, really fine carving stuff. You know, another really fine task like that. And they use that axe for that, right? Yeah. And so it would probably be a hand axe. Okay. Mm -hmm. So
0: toughness. Uh, You've been on the show Fortune Fire a couple times. Mm -hmm. And man, oh man, did they do some mean things to the steel (laughs) that you guys forge in that show. Yeah. Tell me about the first time you were on that
1: show for the people who haven't seen it. Okay, so it was season five, episode 38, I think, if I remember right. It's the Pipe Tomahawk episode.
0: Episode 38. They got a lot of episodes.
1: Yeah, and and see, the first three, four years, they were only, you know, they were running 10 to 15 episodes a year, a season. And then that one, man, they just jumped it up and, you know, it became super popular. I think it was around season three, four. Um, It really caught caught steam and just started rolling and so mm-hmm. that's when they started you know adding the extra episodes and because people are watching it and people are hey you know when's the next one gonna be on we can't wait all summer so they would film you know a bunch of them anyway long story short i get there and, and they do the reveal as they always do and uh um, i pull out five pads of steel wool you know, and I'm like, in a minute here, you know, usually you take a spark and spark it into steel. Well, to start yeah, of
0: catches on fire really yeah, well.
1: Yeah. If I just threw that in the, in the forge, you know, it just like burn it up. Yeah. And, and so, um, so we all had to do a canister weld. Okay. Which is just a piece of square tubing. You just pack that down in and then you put, um, steel powder in it. Okay. And then the powder that you add is really fine. I mean, it, it doesn't doesn't really show it on the show, but it's more, it's fine like a, uh, like baby powder almost like talc powder. I mean, okay. it is really fine. So, you know, you tap and make sure all of that is all those voids from the steel wool are filled as best you can and then weld it all up. Cause you can't have any flame in there
0: mm-hmm.
1: or the, or the steel wool will catch on fire or the powder will just shoot out like, like a sparkler. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, you throw it in the forge and, um, well I ended up making i think it was a ten inch blade with a five inch handle and a gut hook okay I had to have a gut hook in it okay and uh anyway um I got that done and it and it was awesome, but we did an antler chop okay and I, I, anyway that's you like you don't do that with your knives you no. know i mean some people might, No, you don't but, you stab
0: know? it into a piece of wood and yeah. jump up and down on it right, like right, it's a right, diving board right. you don't
1: try and chop
0: antlers with your yeah, knife that's mean yeah,
1: yeah no i cut stuff with my knives yeah. you know and 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 you can do that but i anyway i grind mine like i said a flat grind you yeah. know really fine and so my knife it did take some damage just because my edge was so fine Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was sharp the whole time, you know, cause I got it sharp, sharp, which is nice. Uh, but that apple seed grind, a lot of guys on that show will do that, that convex grind, you know, with that, where it's beefy. I mean, yeah. it is like a thick knife. I'm like, you know, I don't want to carry a leaf spring out there and I don't want to be swinging a leaf spring, you know, just not my philosophy really. I want a small fine knife that cuts, you know, but anyway, so I had to kind of adjust my mindset and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but anyway, yeah, they're they're just brutal on there, stabbing stuff into steel cans and trying to bend it, and yeah, it's, it's crazy. But uh, once once I won those first two rounds, I was lucky enough to come home and actually come here back to Willow County, and they came to the, came to the forge here, and you know they sent a little film crew, two people, and and uh, we had five days to do that, and the first day was five hour days. Uh, Five-hour forging day. Okay. And then you had 10 hours per day after that to forge, right, and, and finish your weapons. And uh, the reveal that we got were a matching set of pipe tomahawks. What is a pipe tomahawk? Okay, so basically originated in the, with the Eastern tribes, mm-hmm. back East. Uh, and what it is, it's a fully functional tomahawk. But you can smoke it too, so it's got a bowl on the back to smoke. Okay, and uh, people were saying, you know, teasing us because we're in we're in Oregon and just had legalized marijuana here, <laughs> and you know, the film crew's like ah, 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 kind of inside joke. And uh, anyway, but that's not the purpose. Okay, uh, the yeah. pur- the purpose is it's it's symbolic in that. If I respond to you and I hand you my pipe tomahawk, if I hand you the pipe tomahawk blade up, that means you know, I don't agree with you. You and I are going to war. We got an issue, right? But if we have the peace pipe, basically the pipe up, and we're smoking it together, right? Just tobacco or, you uh-huh. know, or whatever they smoked back then. Anyway, it would be, then that would be symbolic of peace and friendship. And that would like tie our tribes or our people together.
0: And that's a really beautiful thing to have a tool that is either
1: a weapon of war or a symbol of peace. Oh, absolutely. That's functional for both. Yeah, and and everything else, right? You're talking about going and hunting or, you know, with your moose hunting processing game. They they use the tomahawks for that. Mm -hmm. They use tomahawks, you know, chop the wood and, you know, whatever and war and peace. But, it, it, I mean, it, it just represented you know, life in general, you know, to all of them. And so, yeah, it, that was cool. I mean, yeah. that, that was very cool. And, uh, I got to to get all fancy, you know, do Damascus or pattern welded steel, like we're talking, but, uh, that tore out. So I ended up using the technique that they would have used back then. And that's, you wrap steel around and then forge, weld it together. So you have a wrapped eye where, where the, where the handle goes. Okay. And, uh, Anyway, I happened to use Ferrier's rasp because I like the little fish pattern that it leaves on there, you know and, mm-hmm. and anyway, I thought well, maybe that'll be closer to to the original yeah and and uh and then put the put the pipe part on the back you know and and I had made i don't know why, but it was in one of my buckskinning books back when I was maybe twenty uh 22, 23, right around there. I had read about a piece pipe that had design cuts out all in the middle. And so you smoked it. The bowl was in the middle, and, and the the mouthpiece was at the back. is all lined up in the middle, but there were sections missing all through that piece pipe. I'm like, how in the heck did they do that? Well, they cut it apart, and then carved out a channel around the outside and then glued that wood back on okay. right so it, it looks like oh my gosh you know and then the the natives had decorated that all up and yeah. stuff and I was like so anyway I had a little experience with making one of those and uh so I did kind of that same same technique where I you know split the handle carved it out and then and did some other stuff and then I had made some longbows too in the past with uh like mountain mahogany and Mm-hmm. Osage orange and stuff and so i used a, a technique on you know with coloring them and and kind of camouflaging them on the tomahawks too well, it turned out okay but i was anyway yeah definitely under under a time rush but it was it was a fantastic experience and then how did they test your tomahawks once you got them made well that was that was cool and disappointing okay, okay? uh the cool part was they threw them yeah. And they threw them into wood block, and then they tested to make sure the handles don't come loose, um, make sure. Now, the the trick with pipe tomahawks, like normally a tomahawk, the head is, the handle's thinner where you hold the hand, and it's just friction fit on there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And that's the way that a lot of the natives made them. So, if the handle broke, it was easy just to knock that handle off, carve another stick that tapered, and then just put that back on, right? Yep. Is an easy fix, but you can't do that with pipe tomahawks because you have to have all the holes lined up for smoking and stuff, right? So, they, they checked the heads um, to make sure that they weren't loose and, and all that. Um, and so, that was pretty cool to see Dave Baker with his giant curly mustaches <laughs> and his vest on and all dapper. And he's throwing tomahawks into this chunk of wood, you know, over there. And um, that that's cool. Um, I think he threw it six times and i think both of ours stuck all six times i okay. mean it was like you know head-to-head competition uh and then the other test is they had to be functional and so the judges had to smoke them okay and uh let's see who was it doug markida E. will keel and yeah. <laughs> uh um uh, will willis right the the host uh-huh. they they were they were they smoked mine okay okay and uh and, and that was hilarious because Doug had just about died. And, you know, he started choking. And, <laughs> and, and, and all, and I don't know. Anyway, like, dude, you don't have to really inhale. You just have to <laughs> pull the smoke from the bowl over. You know, and uh, but anyway, uh, that, that that was the good part. The bad part was is I made those things like American hickory. You know, and reinforced handle in there i mean he could have cut a train car in half with those tomahawks yeah i overbuilt those i was i was right but they didn't test them on that you know gotcha. i'm like dude chop through a horse skull or something and, yeah you know uh i wanted a ballistic dummy test you know or sure. something um but what they did is or the other test that they did that i thought was pretty cool is they brought in some dummies dressed in british red coats okay and so they took the tomahawks or Doug Marquita took one in each hand and then went at the the, the dummies, you know, with the, with the uh, redcoats okay. gear on Kind of like in the Patriot sure. the movie, the yeah. Patriot and, uh, Mel Gibson going on that. Oh zone. yeah, man. Yeah. I love that show. I was just like, Mel, man, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the Patriot. Uh, anyway. Um, so, th- so that was cool. And, yeah. and uh, Oh, uh, the other test is too. Wow, I forgot about all this stuff. Holy smokes! Um, they did a pig test. Oh, so they chopped a pig carcass. Okay, with the tomahawks, and uh, I'm here to tell you, man, they are. That's the real deal. I mean, as far as weapons of war, you do not want to be on the on the receiving end of one of those things. It's a
0: powerful tool, you oh know. My and gosh. I've, I've got, like we were talking about before, and not naming names, but I've got friends in the special forces that use these things and you've used right. them a lot in the last 20 years right it's a powerful just, tool oh my and gosh, and not yeah. not just for against people but for all kinds of things if oh, you have sure. to breach through a vehicle or through a door sure. like it's just a good tool to have
1: yeah i th- these would have no problem punching through like a modern day car door yeah you know i mean honestly they would it wouldn't even slow him down, really. You know, mm-hmm. till it till it would. I mean, it's yeah. I was I was surprised because he, you know, Doug hit the ribs and stuff, and I'm like, oh well, you know, pretty much anything will go through rib meat. You yeah. know, it's not that big a deal. Then he chopped into the head and the backbone and it severed the backbone. I mean, this is a big hog. Like it was way bigger than any person. Yeah. And it it didn't even slow it down. I'm like, cool. oh man, yeah. So are yeah. those judges the real deal? Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. Um, you know, the thing is, is not every, you know, kind of a disclaimer. Uh, not everyone is an expert in every field, right? You can't. And you can't yeah. be. No one yeah. is. But um, as all around experts in what they do, all all of those guys are, yeah, they're good. Yeah. I mean, they really are. That's nice. Yeah. Have, well, and, have
0: that credibility. And oh, yeah. Validity.
1: And da- you know, for example, David Baker, he makes all the weapons mm-hmm. for every episode, right? Oh, really? Yeah. And yeah. so he makes all the weapons, just like you see on the show. Mm-hmm. They test them to make sure that they'll pass the test or can pass the test. Okay. Because they don't want to have something that's just like yeah. complete failure every time, right? What kind of television is that? You know? Right. And, uh, but he will still push the weapons. Um, but he does all of that. Uh, Jay Nielsen's a master smith um Jason Knight who was uh on the show for a few seasons he's a master smith in the American Bladesmith Society both of them are uh, Ben Abbott's won every episode he's ever competed in hmm. including beat the judges he's the only judge who won every episode wow and i mean he yeah he is phenomenal and um you know Doug Marcilla is a Filipino martial artist you know, and, and I think the only thing that I saw that I would be like, Oh, Doug, you know, he's not really an expert in that is they had one, one season where they made uh uh bows. Okay. so they had to they had to make a bow with the steel limbs and hmm. and you could tell like Doug may not have had the proper archery form there, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and you're a bow hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I so I shot it, uh,
0: it's easy for you to be critical of because yeah. you know
1: what it should look right. like. Right. Yeah and, and I shot traditional. I mean that's what I did for a lot of years before I I had to put my training wheels back on my bow cuz I was getting old but um I love compounds man I don't oh, know yeah. I, 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 I do. I'll shoot yeah, I'll I shoot
0: anything I don't care you <laughs> yeah. know whatever makes you happy but yeah. I I really
1: encourage people to be as lethal as possible Oh absolutely yeah so yeah and there's yeah. there's no doubt yeah. I mean you're 300 plus feet per second with a compound and and you're lucky to get 200 out of your recurves and yeah. you know And you're, but, but again, I, you know, what started me on this whole path to making my own stuff, including knives, or I read books like on Howard Hill, Mm -hmm. you know, shooting a 70 pound longbow and first white man to kill an elephant with a bow and, you know, all that stuff. And I read his books and I think he shot an elk at 370, 390 yards or something like that. Took him three shots. Incredible. You know? Oh Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's in two-by-fours out of 80 yards with a longbow, no sights, no, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, I can't do that, you know, yeah. but I thought it was cool. Right. You know, but then you get then you get compounds and you're like, holy smokes, yeah. I think if the Native Americans had compounds, you know, uh, <laughs> a lot of the conflicts would have turned out differently.
0: Yeah, maybe. Holy smokes, man. Maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think about that a lot, especially for the Civil War. Um, I am a hundred uh-huh. percent convinced that the longbow was still the better tool than the musket at that time. Oh yeah. Um, it had greater accuracy. You could reload faster. You could shoot farther. It, right. The, the curve for learning was, was a lot shallower as well. Uh-huh. Like you, you can right. teach somebody to shoot this, this longbow really quickly. Um, whereas a musket, you know, there's a lot of failure that goes on it's slow to reload right. accuracy sucks, but the big advantage is, is that a musket's loud yeah and you scary. cannot underestimate the the impact of noise on the battlefield sure and and we saw that in afghanistan with the tanks as soon as oh, you right. shot the main gun of the tank you could stop the fight just with the sound of that. It wasn't the impact of that shell somewhere. You could turn around and shoot the hillside. Uh-huh. But it is so loud that everybody's like, I'm done. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm a farmer yeah. again yeah. now. Yeah. No right. want to play this right. game. So, you know, yeah. that the longbow is such a, a, an interesting and powerful tool um, oh, yeah. and
1: doesn't require any maintenance for the most part. Yeah. Well and the cool thing is it would have employed a lot of blacksmiths too. Maybe not hmm. not as many as guns, but uh but you yeah. have to somebody has to make the arrowheads. Sure. You have to forge those arrowheads. Making all and, those points for sure. Yeah. And unlike some of the Hollywood movies, you don't pour steel out <laughs> to make an arrowhead or to make a sword. You don't do that. I, completely false you're talking game of thrones stuff yeah, right yeah, now yeah. yeah and even like conan you know quince of quince of sword and snow no whatever <laughs> you know? yeah there was another oh uh, robin hood you know they're making arrow points for the uh, you know mm-hmm. and they, they carve a an arrow shape arrowhead shape out of a log and pour you know this metal in it well it has to be lead because that's the only thing right. with that little melting point you know I mean, it's Hollywood, you know, yeah. and, and it was great. I love the movie. It's so romantic and all that stuff. And and uh, Kevin Costner is my boy. <laughs> uh, but, but, man, that is just, no, it's not real. It's fake, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, and Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. I'm sorry you don't break Narsal and just forge it back together like they did. Yeah. Okay, even if you're a magic elf superstar um, and you're good looking as Legolas, um, it's just... That's false, too.
0: Okay, so you got a sword that's
1: broken into a bunch of pieces. How do you turn it back into a sword again? Um, The only way to do that is you cut it up into pieces, restack it like the Japanese did with their small little pieces of, of tamahogane, and then they you forge it all back together. You have to make that homogenous, you know. Yeah. If you did it just like they did, and just kind of overlapped, that's mm-hmm. called a lap weld. Yeah. I mean, that's extremely weak, you know. You can do it with chain or something like that, but you're, you're not going to do with a sword. The sword, you 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 actually hit something, and the shock of that moving down that blade is phenomenal. Right. You know, if you watch if you watch these scenes in slow motion, you'll watch a Japanese swordsman, you know, chopping uh, mats or something like that. Anything that's a little bit harder gives a little resistance. Watch that in slow mowing. Those things are just, wow, 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 mowing. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's awesome. But they're, you know, that shock is moving all the way through there. And anyway, that's why something like spring steel that can handle some of that shock exactly. and movement makes it stronger than something oh, yeah. that's
0: really stiff and brittle that's going to yeah. fall to pieces. Yeah, and see,
1: I would take that like we're talking about with a samurai sword. I mean, I've seen, you know, okay, here's the deal. I love samurai swords, right? I I made them. I've read everything I could on them, and I'm not a master swordsmith, okay? I not, don't even pretend to be or anything, but one of the things that drives me crazy is all this romanticism about they're the best swords in the world, and they're mm. they're better than European swords, and they're... No, they're not. Okay. You know, they cut through gun barrels. No, they can't. Yeah. They've never been able to do that. You know, that's our, that's the, uh, that's our troops are back in world war one and two, you know, where our leaders, commanders are telling the troops that, so they're scared to death when somebody's running at them with a sword. So they shoot them before they can get to them. right? Right. Because yeah, the samurai swords are deadly very deadly but they're made for one purpose and that's cut human flesh yeah right and yeah. there's there's no magic or mystery but uh and they bent all the time mm. right they sure. bend and then they hammer them back straight and go back to battle yeah but you take a leaf spring it's not going to bend it's yeah. going to spring back you know and uh, a lot of the european swords can cut the tatami mats just as well as samurai swords and you know, I, I mean, I still love the romantic nature of Samurai Swords. I have one. I have a few of them, actually. Um, one of these days when I sell about 10 million more knives, I'll actually buy, like, a an antique or, you know, something, you yeah. know, an original. But, um, yeah, anyway, they're, they're awesome, but they're not. That groove that they put in the Samurai Sword, like a blood groove or whatever. Right, right
0: does that have a functional purpose or is that about redistributing weight or what's the deal with that?
1: Yes. It, it does have a purpose and it's not to bleed. Yeah. Right. Um, although that's kind of what, you know, people have said, and you see that on like European Viking swords too. You'll have that, you know, you'll have that hollow grind in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called a fuller. Okay. okay. Uh, but what, it what the fullers do is um, it lightens a sword. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and most swords, um, you're talking two or three pounds. Yeah, right. Uh, most reproductions of most American-made swords are way over built, so they're super heavy. Yeah. But if you're going to battle, you know, you have a six-pound sword out there. Well, the first couple guys you come in contact with, they're going to have a hard time with you. Yeah. Right. Because you're, you know, you just have a weight advantage. Right. But then when you can't hold up your arms after you're done with those two you know, you're dead. I mean, literally you have to be able to, to keep fighting. You have to be able. And so that fuller that, that does lighten it. But the other function is, is it, it acts kind of like an I-beam. Okay. Okay. So it adds strength. Well, it reduces weight without sacrificing strength. Okay. Does that make sense? Just by increasing the surface area a little bit. Yeah. And then, and then you've got, you've got the, um, just like an I-beam and you know, the, the physics of it. Is you have you have a thin piece in the middle with a with a thicker piece and a plate on top and bottom,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay? Well, kind of like a railroad track, yeah. Right. What that does is you can't compress that this way, okay. Okay, but it's flexible this way, yeah. So all of a sudden now you've got strength this way more than you would just say a, a straight piece of steel, yeah. But and then it's got the flexibility too, and so it. A lot of the European swords had that later on and, you know, some of the Viking stuff too. Although a lot of the Viking stuff, like the Ulfbert swords, they were, they had, instead of a narrow fuller, they had like a, almost the full length of the sword. Mm. So it was, it was true, like an I-beam almost, right? Gotcha. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, phenomenal stuff. For people who are going out to buy a knife, like buy yeah. buy
0: a, a factory knife, they're they're going down to a shop or something like that. Sure, going down to Sportsman's Warehouse, they're going to buy a knife, right? Um, what what do they look for? Because it's overwhelming. There's a case. It's beautiful. It's set out like jewelry. They're just glistening. Oh, yeah. um, there's so many of them. Like, what what are features that you look for in a knife if you're going to go out and buy
1: one? Um, if, if I'm buying a knife, there. And that's one of the reasons why I got into knife making. I go into places like that and look and be like, oh, you know, just drool. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like a guy's dream, right? You go in there and you're like, this is better than Christmas. And you're like, I want that one and that one. And that one. Well, some of the higher end I couldn't afford. So I thought, well, I better start making them so mm-hmm. I can have them, you know. Um, but for me, um, I know what I like based on what I've used in the past. Um, I know I don't want some giant bowie knife for elk hunting. I'm just not going to use it. It's awkward. I'm probably going to end up cutting my own leg off by accident or something stupid. Right. So I want to, I want a drop point hunter or a clip point, um, you know, skinning knife, something along those lines. So I, I kind of have an idea of what I want for what I'm using it, you know, for the purpose. Yeah. right First going in. Um, and then um, I I'm also going to look at brand names. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if it's me and I'm buying my first knife, I want to do a little research, I guess is what I'm saying, yeah. into, you know, if I, if I want you know, a nice knife, I'm going to try to get something that's like a Benchmade mm-hmm. or a, um, a Buck Knife or an old, you know, a Shrade or something because they've been around and, and you kind of know some of the quality there. You know, you, you've got you, a company you, that's yeah, going to take care of you if yeah, something happens. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you have that background. Um, but then when you get into more custom knives, to be honest with you, um, you either have to know the maker or it can kind of be a crapshoot. Yeah. Right. I mean, to be honest, um, and usually you'll be fine. Like, you know, if it's a custom knife, it's by a custom maker, even if it's a local yokel. Yeah. Right. They're, they're going to do the heat treat, right. They're going to get you a good knife and they're Mm going to stand by it. The only ones that I would really stay away from, once you look at, at uh, you know, um, function of the knife. If I if I'm just fishing, or hunting birds, then I just want a small bird and trout knife, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing or whatever. Um, and then I look at makers, and then and if I don't know makers, you know, then again it's just kind of a guess. But stay away from any of the cheapo made knives or imported knives kind of dangerous and, uh very yeah yeah very and some of them are great i mean yeah. honestly like you can get i've got one i think that's uh the folding knife i bought on a trip because i had to repair a car you know it was like ten dollars can't even remember the brand or whatever i still have it and use it all the time yeah people laugh at me because they're like you're a knife maker why are you using that you know um made in china or something and it was good but i've had them too where. You know, you can't keep them sharp. The blade breaks, come flying out of there. You know, I've cut my hands on them and stuff because the blade, like, literally has come out of the handle kind of thing, you know. Uh, The only caveat I would say there, well, two things. Don't buy Damascus that's cheap. If you want real Damascus, it's going to cost you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right? So, Damascus knives that are 50 bucks, um, don't buy them. Okay. Uh, Or, you know, unless you want to look at them. Right. Because they're pretty. Yeah. Um, but y- usually they're they're made in wazarabad in pakistan mm-hmm. right and they're made out of like car doors refrigerator doors tin cans you know whatever they whatever have they can find whatever steel they have and they'll tell you it's d d2 or some other like you know 1095 and 15 and 20 just all what all the use the makers are using yeah. right they'll tell you that but but then they, they just don't and they delaminate and they don't hold an edge you know and um, I've seen guys like run them through their paces and literally take one of their knives and cut one of the Damascus knives clear in half with their yeah. own knife. Right. Kind of thing. But uh, the caveat, I would say the Mora knives yeah. from Sweden. We, I mean, and we talked you know, about we talk, this earlier. Yeah. Tremendous yeah. knife for super yeah, absolutely. cheap. Yeah. I've got probably four or five of them. And that's, that's one knife as as far as an import that I would, you know, recommend to anybody. And, I bought them for my daughters and my son. You know, we go on camping trips. We have like um, spoon carving contests. You know, they're perfect for that. And you'll know, yeah. again, you know, they're 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 nice knives. And eighteen bucks. just, it, yeah. just looked it, it oh, up. Did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And, and you know, and they're plastic molded handles, and the tang only goes like a quarter of the way through or whatever. But I've seen I've seen videos of guys just destroying those batoning through wood and logs and stuff to split wood with those knives and they held up just fine you know and you can get them literally razor sharp yeah and And they show up sharp yes yeah they do (laughs) yeah they come sharp i mean they're ready to go yeah they have a cheap plastic sheath which locks the blade in which is fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can upgrade sheaths if you want, you know, by somewhere else. But you don't have to. It's fine. Yeah. It's got a hole in the bottom, which I know people are like, don't even think of that, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. But the hole in the bottom with a plastic sheath, kind of like a, uh, maybe even a Kydex, they say it's folded. You don't want any water or moisture puddling in there. Yep. You know? And uh, I wouldn't have thought of that. I just, you know, I have a hole, you know, but... Anyway, it seems like they think of everything, and it's got that really nice Scandi grind. That's that's uh, you know uh, anyway easy to sharpen, easy to keep sharp. Uh, they're not overly thick, you know that kind of thing. I mean, just so let's say we're going to go ahead and we're gonna we're
0: gonna go to our local knife maker, sure. and and order a knife. Mm-hmm.
1: How should that conversation go? Well, you know, for me. I just have my experiences, you know, um, working with other makers and, and, and what people have done in the past and, you know, pretty much they contact me and say, you know, I want a knife, right. And whatever it is, um, now that I, that I have quite a few online, you know, on Instagram or whatever, um, people will say, I want that one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. But a lot of times they'll contact me and say, do you have any in stock? you know, have this coming up and either I do or I don't. And usually I don't, I'm I'm usually about three months, two to three months out now on on knife making. If it's not a big sword, uh, you know, Damascus set of something, you know, something like that. I'm usually two to three months out. And if it's a big emergency, you know, my niece is getting married and I have to, you know, okay. I'll try to (laughs) bump it up a little, you know, but if they don't know, if they literally don't know, like my husband's a hunter, yeah. He wants a skinning knife or whatever. I'll say, well, find a picture. Yeah. You know, uh, find what he likes and then I'll make that for you. And or I'll send them some of what I've made in the past and say, okay, you know, this is what I make. And and uh, usually you don't get too many people asking, you know, about steals and and stuff like that. And, and usually I'll ask, I'll try to lead the conversation a little bit as far as handle materials, you know, what you're going to use it for. Um, I think we talked about um, your hand axe going to, you know, we want to use the micarta on there rather than wood because, you know, it's going to have blood all over it. It's going to, you know, it's going to be in a rough environment where it's going to be hot, cold, hot, you're going to be flying and, you know, all this stuff. uh, And if it's moose, it's around water, you know, you don't, you don't want wood on there. I guess what I'm saying, right? That's, it'll shrink and you'll end up uh, falling off and stuff. But if it's a beautiful kitchen knife that you're going to take good care of and never run it through the dishwasher, then let's put some really figured, nice, beautiful wood on. Or if it's Damascus, you know, that kind of thing. So I'll talk through handle materials and stuff with them. And if they want cheap, then, you know, I'll explain machine finishes versus hand hand finishes and, and stuff like that. And so which I got a set of steak knives for my mom that you built.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's nothing, there's like, there's no greater crime, I think, that you can commit to a, a properly cooked steak than using a dull knife on it. <laughs> oh, and it drives right. me crazy. You know, you can go to some really nice Isn't restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a beautiful ribeye steak, and then yeah. they give you, a, you know, basically a metal butter knife. To, right. Like, this is a joke. <laughs> yeah. it, but a good sharp knife makes eating a steak oh, a much better experience. Sure, and I love those knives. Those right. are fantastic, Thank you. Thank you. and they're so each one of them is a little bit unique. You could tell that they're made
1: by a man. Yeah, you know right. they're awesome. Right, love those things. I uh, one of the, one of the things that I that I dislike is you know people want or some people are critical of of knife makers. Hmm. You know, what you know, um, only simply because not everything is. Precisely exactly the same, yeah. so so that said, I made your mom, you know, like you're saying, each one is just a little different, It has its own kind of personality or whatever um own story, and I like that fact, though, I do too, you know,, and they're not like so different, i mean they're they're similar, but you know, the 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 differences are small enough that you can tell you didn't just go down to Goodwill and, like, or whatever yeah. and pick up a set of or, or random stuff. But, I mean, they're all the same, but they're all a little different. And that's that's what, I don't know, shows an individual maker. Yeah. You know, if you want a set that's, like, perfectly matching uh, stuff, you know, there's there's a, uh, a lot of the big box stores Wally World and some of the others, go buy your knives there. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm fine if with that. If you want it to
0: look like it's built by a machine,
1: <laughs> yeah. because it was built by a machine. Because and, it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Buy that. But if it's yeah. built by hand, they're going to have some individual characteristics. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And usually, too, um, unless I'm doing something special, right? Something Like for testing or, you know, I I try to leave a forge mark somewhere visible. Okay. Okay, and sometimes more, like I've done knives where I, you know, where you leave all of the forge marks, hammer marks in it as part of the rustic appeal, you know, and I like that kind of knife too. I like, you know, and the reason is, is because I don't want to be associated with, you know, just, again, grinding out knives. Generics. Yeah, Yeah, just generics. I want to, you know, I see guys forge their knives sometimes, and then they grind all the marks out, and it looks just like they just... You know, just stock removal, they just ground it. Well, how do I know you forged it? Yeah. How do I know that this was a leaf spring, like you said, that was, you know, half an inch thick or something? You forged it down to shape. And because you grind, you ground away every, all evidence to that fact. Maybe mm-hmm. you just bought a the knife blank, slapped some handles on it. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, and plus, uh, I grew up in the Southwest. And one of the stories that with the Navajos with their blankets and pots is they always leave one, one thing, like one line, not done right, like not Hmm. completed or, and because they don't want to be, uh, yeah, it's a cultural thing, but I guess it's not to offend the gods, but they don't want to say to the gods that they're so arrogant that they're perfect. Gotcha. Right. So they, they leave one thing and, and if my Navajo friends out there you know, are listening to this and you can correct me on that, but yeah, you know, I just remember those stories. And so I, I want to leave, even if I'm hand sanding, you know, I want to leave one, one little piece of evidence on there that okay, this was not perfect. It was from, from a steel and I did forge it. Yeah. But it was literally, it was in the fire. It was a leaf spring or a Harrow spring tooth Harrow or something. Uh And I, I do buy steel. I mean, I do buy brand new steel, But normally that's what I use with some of my chef's knives because I can't get that good of steel in, you know, Mm -hmm. or I use it in my, in my Damascus or my pattern welded steel. Yeah. You know, we, we see some of that same
0: sentiment that you're describing in the early mountaineering. Um, there are some places in, in Nepal along the, the Chinese border where the mountains themselves are gods and, in order to get permission to climb that thing they said we don't want you to summit it you can get right next to the summit but we don't want you to get to the top Uh and those early mountaineers showed that respect sure you know that's definitely a a nod that's definitely respect to to do everything except for take those last few steps i i respect that a lot i think that that's cool because nobody's out there saying oh you didn't summit it you didn't achieve the thing it's like Maybe you achieved even more. Way more,
1: yeah. yeah. And, and two, every one of my knives, you know, in by my way of thinking, is completely unique. Mm-hmm. There's not another one in the world like, it, right? And that's what I tell the kids, you know, because I have had, I don't know, 40 or 50 kids here or people coming and taking classes. And, and if they're students or former students, I don't charge them. I just like come on over and my wife's like you have to start charging i'm like no nah, i'm gonna you know i am not do that you've made a so anyway. big difference in, oh.
0: in some kids lives by doing that like thank you there's just, kids that haven't really been able to sink their teeth into anything yeah and yeah. and then they come here and learn how to make a knife with you
1: and like that's their thing like that's the thing that really clicks yeah. for them well and i um i my my favorite thing ever about that is when they bring their dads. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and they don't have to. You know, it did, depends on ages. I mean, I, I usually stop around twelve. I don't want them too young, too much younger than that. Although my neighbor boys, I've had them over to make knives you know, yeah. and stuff, and and I let them choose what knife they want to make. You know, I usually try to talk them out of like a fourteen-inch chopper <laughs> or something yeah. like that. You know, like let's let's start out with something smaller that you'll actually use. You know, and and uh, but. I want them to have those experiences. I mean, that's what they remember. And I I remember when I was in junior high, one of my teachers, a math teacher, which uh, math was not my subject. I'm just telling you, that's why I teach English and Spanish now <laughs> and history too. But anyway, um, he took a, a group of kids out with him to run his trap line. Right? And he did that, I don't know, three or four times. And I was so shy in school that I didn't approach him and didn't ask him to go. Mm. I just kind of sat in the back, and I'm like, "Oh, I hope he picks me. Hope he." But that's not how he rolled, you know. I mean, he for those kids who are interested, he would take them, you know. You right. know what I mean, and and I, looking back on that, I'm like, oh, "I wish I'd had that experience," you know. Uh, not that I'm a trapper and do anything with it, but I, you know, I just remember that, and I'm thinking, okay, if I can provide those kind of experiences for those kids, you know, they might remember that a long time from now. You know, um, so
0: knowing that, do you look to those kids that are sitting in the back that might have their eyes on the floor and, and ask them,
1: or do you still want them to come up to you? Uh, a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, we, um, I, I'm usually, I feel like pretty approachable, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not the mean teacher yet. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting old now, so I'm sure a couple cr- more years gonna get crotchety. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sit on the porch and kick kids off my lawn, you know, <laughs> drinking my lemonade with my shotgun or something. But no, I'll, uh, I I try to look for those kids and I make sure that people know, like, even in the classroom, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, well, wait till Rolly tells his stories or wait till you know, he's talking about knives. But I, I do that with a purpose. And the purpose is to make sure that all of them know that they're all invited. Yeah. And I've had, you know, um, boys, girls, all ages from, well, like my neighbor boys are, I think, one, seven, eight, you know, <laughs> on up to, yeah. you know, later on in life. And and some people have come over and just wanted to make one, you know. And, and And every one of them leaves with a piece, though, that is unique to them. No one else in the world has it. And they've had that experience too, and it's something and they can use. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. It's not like okay, I got on the phone and I, I made a TikTok, right? You know, which I do that too because that's how cool. I, no, I'm kidding. I don't <laughs> I don't make TikToks, <laughs> but uh, but no, they can take it home and and honestly, some of them are good enough. Like they'll have it forever. You know, yeah. they've used it in in deer hunts and elk hunts, and and they'll probably you know pass them on to their kids or. Yeah, might. Of course, it might end up in some drawer, and somebody will be like, "What is this stupid thing?" You know, when they pass on or whatever. But, but, um, but there is a chance that they'll they'll be able to pass that down and that memory down, and and especially with a dad and his and his boy, or dad and his daughter, and you know, or, or his moms. I don't care if it's mom, you know, yeah. But whoever comes over and has that experience together, and a lot of them bring their friends or their you know siblings or cousins or something like that, and. And the, anyway, those are the best experiences. And I think, you know, the more that we can have those and the more they actually, like you say, you know, work with their hands because we're as a society really moving away from that. Well, um, uh, sort of <laughs> there's, there, there's a motto that's almost, I don't know. It's
0: almost overused, but, but it's also not. And we came across it all the time we're in Marine Corps training and that's, is iron sharpens iron. So does one man sharpen another. Sure. And, uh. And it's, it, it's, it's very true. And it's something worth thinking about a little bit. And that's exactly what you're talking about is, you know, one man sharpening another. Let's talk about sharpening a knife. Okay. <laughs> um, because this is something that people fail at so much that some of the most common knives that we see in the outdoors have throwaway blades, drives sure. me crazy. Those things, very dangerous. They break all the time. And when they break, they're pretty springy and they come flying in some crazy direction that might include an eyeball or whatever else. I don't like them. They're crazy sharp. But the reason that people are going to these things, these these throwaway blade knives, is because
1: they don't know how to sharpen the knife that they have. Right. So let's talk about sharpening. Well, I, uh, along those same lines with those knives that you're talking about, you know, using the scalpel blades and, I mean, on the surface, the idea is fantastic, you know, like, but... Just like in archery, when you break an archery point off, you know one of the one of the blades off, one of the you know whatever in the, inside the elk, and you're reaching in there, it is literally very dangerous. Yes, you break one of those blades, you know they're flying around, or if you just leave it st- stuck in a piece of meat, you reach your arm in there, and you end up cutting yourself badly, because you don't know what's there, don't realize it. I've done it. It's, I've yeah. done it
0: on animals that you know one of my clients shot. And I'm, you know, I recovered that broadhead uh-huh. and then I'm just cutting away. And then I find another broadhead in that critter that's been in there oh, for right. the previous
1: season or earlier right, that sure. year. And I cut the hell out of myself one right. time doing that. Right. And not only do you have like issues of, you know, infection and stuff sure. like that, but uh, if you're in there very far and luckily we have, you know, devices now that satellite phones or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, that we can get help, but. Um, not too long ago, that wasn't available, right? If you're 10 miles in and you actually cut an artery or something, you're, I yeah. mean, there's no help, you yeah. know, and it's it's just you. And you know, as tough as I am, I could probably walk out on my hands, but um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just I just lay down and call it good, cut my finger, <laughs> just leave me here, yeah. Um, uh, but no, I uh, at but as to sharpening, I, I think you're right, you know, 100%, with the with the fact that they're using these simply because either they don't want to go to the effort of sharpening, which doesn't take a lot of effort, or they just they don't know how. Yeah. And I get a lot of that too. Um, you know, how do you sharpen your knife? How do you because uh, they they just can't, right? I mean, or um, they were like me. They had the oilstone set that your dad had. It's all dished out, you know, and stuff. And um, But I guess the keys to sharpening are just to make sure that you have a consistent angle on your sharpening. Now, most knives have a some type of grind, and then they have a secondary bevel on them, mm-hmm. which is the sharpened edge. Yeah. Other than the Scandi grinds, now we're talking about the Mora knives. The Scandi grinds are just pure flat. Yeah. Okay. Um, but other than that, most knives have that secondary bevel. So, all you want to do is match up that secondary bevel. Now, if you mess that up a little bit, it's fine as long as you mess it up consistently. Okay. Right? Consistency is the key. You have to keep that angle. So, people obsess
0: about whether it's a 20, a 25, a 27, a 30-degree edge. Yeah. Um, But you can shave with a 33-degree edge. You can shave with a 17-degree edge. So, you can get it very, very sharp. But you're talking about making sure that whatever angle you are
1: using that you're extremely consistent consistent with with that and they they have you know they have little guides with you can put them on the back of your knife the spine of your knife um and and that that's fine that works um what i would do is just use like quarters Mm -hmm. or nickels you know whatever so you want to lay your blade flat on your stone and lift it until the front edge contacts the stone that's the angle you're going to use Uh, You know, and, and that's not too hard, uh, but you have to sharpen that and keep that at the same angle. And that just takes some practice. Yeah. Um, I, I remember though being, you know, just as frustrated as anybody else when, uh, when I would, before I was making knives. And trying to sharpen on stones like we talked about, you know, they're kind of dished out. Because It doesn't matter what angle you have then. If it's dished out, it's going to change as you sharpen, right. you know. And so you have to have, you know, a fairly decent stone, what have you. But once you get that edge, you can use, you know, your knife steels. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, all the knife steels are doing is pulling that burr on that edge back straight, lining everything back up. And that'll last a long time. Um, out in the field, I used to carry a little diamond grit you know i can't just what a, just a sharp rod, or whatever yeah. sharpening rod and just to touch it up you know and you're just aligning that but um to get that initial edge just stay consistent and and run that across that stone and you can either pull it away from you or, or i mean push it away from you or pull it to you it doesn't matter um there's some debate with that, but it really doesn't matter. You can get sharp either way. If it's get going sharp to sharpen, yeah. yeah, it's going to sharpen either way. Uh, it's just a matter of technique and what you prefer. Yeah, you know, just be consistent with that. Once you get that burr, then uh, you want to just very lightly run that across a piece of wood or something. It'll remove that burr, go to your next step stone. And then to get it really, sh- and that usually that's enough, mm-hmm. right? But to get it really sharp where you're talking, you know, shaving your mustache and your back hair with it, then. Uh, which is the tough part, Mm -hmm. you know, shame back here with a knife. I've tried, um, you really need to have a strop. You've got to get that, that extra fine, you know, stropping down, which is leather, which is your leather. Yeah. Uh, some people use, you know, you can use if you're, if you're in a pinch in a bind, you can use cardboard because it's got just enough abrasive in that cardboard with the glue and the wood fibers, um, that you can use that as a strop to, um, you know, you use your pants, although use your pants. They're not really as tough as leathers would take like 20 years or something, but you're going to get it polished and sharp sooner or later, you know? Um, but yeah, that, I mean that in a nutshell is sharpening and really it just takes practice. A lot of these factory edges, like on this
0: bench made, you can see little tiny grooves from, from whatever, um, they use. So it's like a micro serrated edge and, uh, and once that edge goes away and needs to be sharpened you've really got quite a bit of work to start over at that point to polish all that off right
1: yeah and what what happens is some of these steels like you're talking your let's say your bench and not necessarily this um S30V um but some of the steels that are like up into like S90 and 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 on um will do better with a toothy edge okay Okay, so that's why they sharpen. So, you wouldn't want to strop or you wouldn't want to go as fine on your stones. You want that little bit of toothy edge. Now, these, I mean, you can can sharpen these down to 1,000 grit or, you know, I I think I've got the 8,000 grit stones. Uh, Some of those, I mean, you can get your chef's knives and stuff so so sharp, you know, you just pull your tomatoes out of the fridge and they're sliced already. You know, That's how <laughs> sharp the knife is, but no, um, what, what you have to do, if you looked at this under the microscope, especially with right from the factory, you, you'll see those ridges, you know, that almost serrated that toothiness, because all they do is lock this blade in. It runs up into, you know, some wheels or some sandpaper that's running and grind it. You know, I yeah. mean, it's like, I mean, that's all they do. Um,
0: and I know but, in, in talking with Benchmade, because I, I, I do work with those guys in, sure. in developing some knives a little bit, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. I use them a lot. Sure. Um, so that's, that's who I represent. It's like the user group who doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but I know that they, they put those edges on there different ways for different knives for whether they
1: want to cut on a push or cut on a pull. Right, um, right. Well, there's you know, there's, a whole, there's a whole theory of edge geometry when I first got into knife making, I first started buying knives. I'm like, oh, that's a knife. It looks cool, mm-hmm. right? It's sharp. Yeah. Okay, good enough. Well, there's a difference then in, say, edge geometries. I've I've made my edges, my flat grinds, almost right to the edge. I mean, the secondary bevels are really fine. Yeah. Right? And, and my chef's knives, um, there is almost zero secondary bevel. I want those so thin that I can... I can set a grape on a cutting board and just cut a slice that I could read the newspaper through without holding the grape. Yeah. I want it that sharp, right? Want zero work for the chef kind of thing. However, in that same vein, uh, if I'm using that same knife and that same geometry, um, if I want something, say, that'll process a chicken, okay, and this is the same with your push and pull stroke, you know, just how you cut, um, I want a thicker grind. I want uh, that convex grind a little bit. Yeah. I want a, you know, a less steep of an angle kind of thing. And these knives here, because you have a good combination bench made, they make some really nice blades, but they have that, that super steel. Um, It has a great comment. You don't need it as thick to be as tough. Right. Right. So it can be thin and tough and sharp and all those things. Yeah. It's, Knife making's come a long way in both design and material because so it what's all matters. The, what's the future of
0: knife making look like? Like, uh, where does it go from here? Lightsabers. You think so? No.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, you know, like, like we were talking before, uh, you were you were mentioning how things haven't really changed much, you know. Uh, we look at blade designs and other than like fantasy blades that kind of get way out sure. there. You know, everything stays the same. I mean, a, a knife is a tool and it is one of the most basic tools Now you can get out, you know, into the fine down nitty gritty, but it really needs to do two things. It needs to cut and stab. Yeah. And it's really hard to change a design that's been really perfected over thousands of years, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so as far as, as knife design or knives, I, um, I would think maybe uh, different steels. Uh, I would guess from here they're going to use stuff that would not be maybe not even have iron in it, right? You know, so, some different or maybe not, or maybe iron but not carbon. Or, you know that kind of thing. Like more of a diamond or crystalline yeah. structure. Yeah, yeah, and, and because each of these knives have that structure in it to some degree or other you know the dendrites and and uh when you quench there's some things that are in there for you know we're talking about the toothiness Mm -hmm. you know um different metals have different different crystal structures in the steel i guess you know Mm -hmm. that that make for a different hardenability so i i can see that um but honestly i don't see many changes Um, I don't, you know, as far as like medical and stuff, you know, then you get into the lasers and we're talking, you know, I was joking about lightsabers, but that's when you do that. But like for everyday use and kitchen knives and for us guys who are carrying pocket knives or whatever, um, you know, honestly, I think knives within the next couple hundred years, we're not going to be able to carry them anyway, probably, Mm. you know. It's it's already going to that, you know, with the laws of oh, can't have anything over six inches or three inches in whatever state. And, you know, you can't carry them on a plane, can't carry them into public buildings, you can't carry, you know, you know, all this stuff. So, and, and a lot of people don't even use knives anymore. Yeah. Which is right. they insane to me. They don't have a task that requires. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Have they not read Louis Lamar? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I read Louis Lamar and he said, have a knife with you all the time. You'll never be without, you know, and the, the times that, that somebody asked me for a knife and I don't have one, I yeah. feel like
0: less of a man. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I just failed. I just completely failed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. If somebody wants to order a knife from you, how do they do it? How do they get hold of you? Um,
1: the easiest way is just to go to my Instagram, which is mrolley2, R-O-W-L-E-Y-2, um, or go to my Facebook page, which, just look me up, and yeah. and uh, that's the easiest. I don't have a website yet. I'm kind of debating. I need one, but I'm out making knives instead of yeah you know, on the internet. Um, I have a YouTube channel that I'm going to start developing. I have a few videos out, but... Okay. Um, Mostly, it's just being me being silly, you know, testing out my samurai swords and playing fu- Fruit Ninja or something. Not, <laughs> not real, not real good content. But yeah, hit me up on Instagram. That's usually the easiest way. Okay,
0: and if you guys need help with that, look in the show notes, podcast description. Scroll down to the bottom of that, and there will be a hyperlink there. You can click on that, and you can go straight to Mike's Instagram, and you can send him a picture of the knife that you want, or start start up the conversation and get ordered whatever you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir, for your time. I cannot wait to get this, uh, this hand ax in my hand and, uh, start chopping and cutting and doing all the things with it.
1: The only thing you have to promise, okay, is you won't cut your own fingers off by accident. Well, yeah. On accident. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I'll I'll do my best. I'll (laughs) do my best. All right. right. Yeah. I've definitely (laughs) cut
0: myself a large number of times. Um, there's actually, uh, Do you ever read Patrick McManus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that guy. Oh, hilarious author. Totally underrated. And uh, for some reason, a lot of people haven't really heard of him anymore, which is a shame. But he talks, a, he has a short story about a kid's first knife. And oh, like right. the, the three things that he does with it, like whittles a stick, sharpens it, cuts himself, gets it taken away. <laughs> yeah. And he said that the cut occurs between the first and second knuckle of the <laughs> index finger of his offhand. And I have a scar from my first knife right there <laughs> oh, to that yeah. spot. And I'm <laughs> reading this book and looking at this scar. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the good thing is chicks dig scars, <laughs> okay, yeah. that's good. That's good news. All right, Cyril. Well, thank you thank again, you. and uh looking forward to seeing what you can cook up in your forge. I you betcha you My pleasure. I live in an old cabin with bad to non-existent insulation and wood heat. That cabin can see snow every month of the year and needs a good amount of firewood stacked in the woodshed to carry through the colder months. This spring, as my woodpile turned to smoke and ash, I noticed something metal pushing out of the decades of sawdust and bark. I kicked at it and unearthed a Stanley thermos. The cup was missing, and it showed more worn stainless steel than green. There were dents in the metal, and the handle looked like a puppy had chewed on it, but it still hadn't leaked the old coffee I could feel slosh inside. It took me back to memories of cutting firewood with my dad, waking up early for an elk hunt or going out to the canyons to gather cattle a stanley thermos has the durability to survive whatever hard work you throw at it you may find it carries memories as well as coffee learn more about their new and classic line of products at stanley1913.com or at your local sporting goods store and catch you next week thank you for listening If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan, with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast. Was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch podcast. I'll catch you next week.